Welcome, everybody, to the Trillbilly Workers Party. <laughs> Just because you're in the big seat. Our host today is... Uh, or, sorry. Our guest today... Is a hypochondriac? Yeah, our ho- your host today is a uh, hypochondriac that uh, thinks he has dengue hemorrhagic fever. Oh, man. What is that? <laughs> Are you serious? I worry about you, Tom. And the funny uh, thing about when I was in Cuba, I thought I did have it though for a few days. The funny thing about hypochondria is that I don't worry about your health. I worry about your mental health. Worrying about your health. Same. <laughs> uh, my mental health is not good. Not One day. day after recording, you had us all looking at our fingernails to see if, if there the were lines in our fingernails. It's like a protein deficiency. Listen. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to see a physician about that in about two weeks' time. Well, what I was trying to tell Tom earlier is um, you should practice what uh, Wittgenstein called being towards death at all times. Just what? being towards death. What did Wittgenstein being have to say about Being towards death? Yes, just a- accepting that you're mortal and you could be gone at any moment now. Um, that is true. And it it's really helps with the hypochondria, is all I'm saying. You know who also said this? <laughs> Tim McGraw. <laughs> Live like you're dying. So Tim McGraw was an avid Wittgenstein reader. Yeah, apparently. That's what <laughs> inspired said, that. Live like you were dying. Oh, wow. shit. Right before I was leaving the house to come up here to record, I saw a wonderful tweet. <laughs> um, wonderful little tweet by our man Dinesh D'Souza. Um, and it's funny because I've been seeing takes like this left and right all over the interwebs um, since this weekend. He said, I think if people want to wipe out reminders of slavery, segregation, and white supremacy, we might consider getting rid of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And the funny part about He's it. He's not wrong. The funny part about <laughs> it. Yeah. So the funny part about it is that like um, all these right wingers. Like, I think I remember seeing a, a tweet or a meme or something a few months ago being like, my favorite thing right now is watching right-wingers just on the cusp of grasping it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and I said something about it on Twitter last night, actually, but it's interesting to see them no longer have to square the circle of, yeah. like, America's brutal fucking history. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess something about, like, Donald Trump just sort of explicitly and openly, like, ex- accepting it um, has allowed them to push full force ahead. I don't know. What did you all think about uh, Steve Bannon's American Prospect? You know, I didn't get to read that. Me neither. He said some interesting things. What did he say? He said, well, the first thing he said was that you know, he was rambling on about this economic war with China and how that's the administration's priority because one of the two countries is going to be a hegemon in 25 years and it's looking more like China's going to be it. Yeah. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But then he said that uh, he called like the alt-right the fringe and losers and all this kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I did see that. And then he said something interesting about the Democrats. He was like, I want them to keep talking about race and identity. Because as long as they do that, we're going to win. Interesting. And I'm wondering what his long game is with all that. Very interesting. 
put a bookmark in that because I think we'll probably wind up coming back around to it. Okay. I did see a picture of him on the internet this week where he looked like he was like bleeding from his face and there was like blood <laughs> yeah, on his he clothes. He cut himself sh- shaving yeah, but and I guess it was an onion mock-up. Yeah, I think oh, it was, was it? a Photoshop. Okay. Yeah, but it was a good one. I, I was like, God damn. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of slightly distorting people's public physical images and then they get spread around like everybody yeah. thinks that they're actually real yeah what has been your all's default reaction like what have you been doing have you been binge eating or drinking sleeping more or less much less this week are y'all in your normal str- normal stride yeah it's hard because I, I was thinking about like oh like uh, if we're going to try to have a conversation about what happened this weekend it's um you know, you, you don't want to get too far into it in the sense that you don't want to, like, I don't want to be, like, giving away the game plan or something to, like, right-wingers who might be listening to this. You know, I mean, I don't fucking know. I mean, it's, I have no idea how, like, sort of sophisticated or thorough they are in, like, gathering intelligence. I use square quotes around that mm-hmm. on the on the left. Um. But I do think it's interesting, um, and something that I've really wrestled with a lot since it happened was, um, or sort of is the entire spectrum of liberal left response to it. Like, and, you know, I was talking about this with a coworker this morning, and I think that, like, maybe the best sort of way to look at it is to, like, maybe position two poles. One would be like the ACLU, um, who think that you know, you know, if you uh, if you like shine a light on this thing, like you you know, you let people have free speech, and we're going to talk about that, what that means. But if you let people have free speech and let them exercise their freedom of speech and all this, you uh, sort of uh, inoculate, or I don't know, maybe you like what would the word be that I'm looking for here? You take away some of its impact, I guess. Um, in the sort of broader society. Um, you know, that's the sort of, like, theory behind this, like, free speech thing. You know what I mean? Like, better speech drowns out poor speech and all this. And so I guess that's what the ACLU was thinking, pushing this going on. So it's like, th- you have them on that poll, and then the other side, there'd be, like, Antifa, which would be, like, no, you can't give it a platform, um because what does fascism do it creeps um you know you have to squash it out before it gets a platform before it gets disseminated and um it's been really um it's been hard for me to sort of square several circles with that because i see a lot of people arguing on the internet that um and a lot of my friends, you know, and I was even, I've even had several person to person conversations about this. Is that like you, there's no way that we can um, address this problem with the, with the state. Like expanding the state's police powers and stuff like that will only wind up fucking us. Like we're going to get fucked right. if, you know, we we're expanding the state's police powers to try to stop them um but uh at the same time like 
what is the other response? I mean, there's violence. There's, you know what I mean? Like there's us meeting them in the streets and, and all that. And I support all that. And I, I mean, in those, you know, if you, I know it's simplistic, but if you're setting it up like those two poles or whatever, I'm on the side of Antifa, you know what I mean? Like these people deserve to be met. They need to be met with force and they need to be met with um, people power and all this other stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, and maybe at this point I'm rambling on. But Well, no, I see what you're saying. And it feels like at this point our many options or our few options, sometimes it feels more like few, but it seems like they fall into two categories of reactive and proactive and feeling like they like we have to have both. Like no one wants to be chasing Nazis. Nobody wants to do that. And people are just going to have to. People just are. And, um, I mean, I feel like selfishly, most of my anger this week has been that my friends have had to be those people Uh or have felt like they had to be. And I just don't think they deserve to be like, I just, I've been angry feeling like my like my personal family has been put in so much fucking danger. Um, and so I, there's just like a lot of personal, just shit we need to unpack. Um, but I think the big question is, how do we figure out the proactive? Like, how do we how do we try to find these parallel paths um, out of this? Because I don't think it was until Charlottesville that I, I don't think that I had admitted to myself that they have such a strategic plan around the region. Like, yeah. this is a very Appalachian-centered plan and strategy. Like, we, we are targets at this point. Um, because they because of the fucking narrative of the region that is just not the fuck true right so so and i think that story i mean we get all hopped up about discourse and narrative on this podcast of course um but it's actually (laughs) the only thing there is it are the stories that people tell them goddamn selves like stories are the reason these these nazis are marching through Charlottesville saying you will not replace us. Like the stories they've been told, the stories they continue to tell themselves are like in these cycles of just like fucked up narrative. Um, And the whole reason they're here and targeting this region is because of the stories they think they know about this place, the narrative they think they know. Um, And that's why in the very first episode, Terrence, you you draw the parallels of um, J.D. Vance being a fucking Nazi. (laughs) <laughs> like these are the like this these aren't like story like you can't over um emphasize the necessity of truth and just stories of people um and it just feels like we're in this cycle again of the region or of the nation erasing the diversity of the region so that we look so that they think that we're this white dumb poor impressionable place and so this is where they've chosen this battleground um they already have a a rally planned in parkersburg west virginia this saturday yeah i saw that they have planned they're literally two of our friends are on their way to lexington right now for this fucking lexington city council meeting where Beinhock, whatever the fuck his name is. Heimbach. Yeah, whatever. Beinhock. <laughs> Dumb fuck. Um, and TWP are there um, waiting to 
here if they are going to get their permit and um, fighting the decision about bringing down that goddamn statue in Lexington. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to text me if there's a, like, we, we just don't know yet what's going on in Lexington, but I am think that September 30th, there's a rally. They're planning a rally in Knoxville. There's just like, we could pull up a map. There's like a clear yeah. strategy of us right now. Yeah. So then the question becomes, how do you, you fight them? And you said something, Terrence, about... Um, going to the streets and, and chasing them. I think about, and I think it's what, what's going to have to happen, but also how that, um, it's tricky because whether explicitly or not, you know, they pride themselves on following the order of law and all this kind of stuff, and the police are going to implicitly protect them in most cases yeah right so we're already outnumbered by the state <laughs> when, when we show up this is something i've been thinking a lot about though in the past few days like doesn't it kind of feel like the state flinched oh, this yeah. weekend oh yeah and They're that's interesting that's an interesting thing and, and it's not this it's not the first time and i remember thinking this a few years ago with the whole bundy stuff like the mm-hmm. state clearly flinched um and, you know, and I know it's like a sort of trite internet point that, you know, compare the two to Standing Rock or something where, like, the state is brutal. I mean, there is no flinching. Like, there's, uh, you know, you can't have an armed uprising of native, of indigenous people or, or black people or anything. Right. Um, which I think is, I just think it's interesting uh, because it does feel like um, we've entered a new phase of something. It feels yeah. like something is very dramatically turned different yeah Yeah, so something is very dramatically different and and yeah i mean i don't i don't know i really think i just did y'all watch the that vice documentary yeah i just finished did you watch that vice mini documentary 20 minutes ago yeah i didn't see it what is it um this is like a very short documentary that they did on the charlottesville everything that basically they they like interviewed a bunch of alt-right people I sort of just gave a rundown of everything that happened. But one of the things I found most fascinating about that documentary um, was the awe that they have for the left. Like Heimbach and a lot of these guys. They have a very visible awe of the left. And they even say it at some points. They're like, we don't a have... A reverential thing, almost. Yeah, like they don't... They, they Like at one point, I think it's Christopher Cantwell. He says something like... We don't have the comradeship that they do. We don't have the uh, solidarity they do or, or the numbers. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because they are trying to emulate that. And and he actually pinpoints it. He's like, the way you build that is through organizing. Uh, and Heimbach, if you look at, <laughs> at traditionalist workers party, they co-opt the language. Oh, well, they have all kinds of anti-capitalist language. Well, but the thing about that and the thing about that that is really scary is that they understand, and this is this is the difference between them and J.D. Vance, and I think it's fascinating. They understand that liberalism and neoliberalism has no answer to all the shit going on around us. It has no answer to climate change, police brutality. Uh, I could go on and on and on. It, they understand that, that we've reached the end of a road, and that, yeah, and, exactly and that right. capitalism is in this sort of state of crisis and not just capitalism but our ability to manage it yeah. and our ability to allocate resources and and so it's like 
you know, I was asking somebody who's in Charlottesville this past weekend, like, were there a lot of KKK, like, neo-Confederates there? She was like, no, mostly it was, like, the hipster sort of, like, uh, alt-right, yeah, like Richard Spencer Heimbach guys, and a lot of them are anti-capitalist, and I think it's for that reason. It's not just the whole, and and this is a very interesting point, it's not just the sort of uh, revanchist, like, chauvinist, like, white ethnostate people although they are out and they're you know and they were ostensibly there for the removal of a confederate statue it has it has a lot to do with their the way that they see the sort of like trends of history coming to a very clear end and and what do you do with that i mean like it really is like it's so trite, and it's like been said a hundred thousand times since the election. But it's like really is like barbarism at the gates. Like they understand that what's going to happen is that like as these forms of traditional like power, the way we've managed society, liberalism, classical liberalism, and sort of the more neoliberal types, like they understand that as these start to dissipate and go away, it's going to be an all-out brawl between the hard right in the hard left. Right. And they and they know that. And and I, and it just makes me again, I don't I think that that is important to keep in mind as we talk about like how we respond to them, not just on in like not just in the streets, but like their entire political project. Yeah. You know, it's what we've been saying for months now, right? Like yeah. we've got to get to the people before they do i mean i don't know it seems stupid but it does they understand what's at stake i guess is what i'm saying and i think you know especially when we're talking about police i think the state at a certain point is going to be forced to pick a side Mm -hmm. like explicitly yeah pick a side and i think they'll probably side with them and i think it's not outside the realm possibility they'll side with them i mean Think about it. They're not a. They don't represent an existential threat to the police. Right. They kind of are. I mean, like, what's our our platforms? We need to abolish it. We need to do away with it. Right. I mean, is it that we all see the end of capitalism and how like it's imploding? It's literally not going to make it. Like, and and they're terrified that they don't have a. <laughs> Like that, I mean, all of their motivation is clearly fear. They're ter- yeah. like They're so fragile. It's like fragility at eleven, like the yeah. like peak fragility. Well, I'm not saying that they wake up every day and be like, "Oh, capitalism is blah blah." The contradictions of this unsustainable system or whatever. But they do see decline in wages, you know, and wage stagnation, increasing inequality, uh, ecological catastrophe. They see all of the symptoms of a system in decline, and it affects them personally, yeah. materially. And and they're reacting to that. I mean, again, I don't think it's an explicit thing. I don't think they're waking up. I mean, like, some of them are, yeah. I think the Heimbach guy is pretty well aware of that. I yeah. mean, you listen to what he says, and that's what he's saying. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah he, he's... That, what's so funny about that is, like, we've all diagnosed the problem, right? And how do you go with this? Do you form an egalitarian society like what we do and we abolish like oppressive systems or do you form an ethnostate? Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes like a power grab. See, right? they yeah, they have an answer. Yeah. To declining. Say what you want about them. It's fucking they brutal. Have a response. <laughs> it's it's brutal. It's a boot to the neck, but it's an answer. Yeah. And liberalism doesn't have an answer. It does not have that. And, and what's it, so funny is if it did, 
we would there would be no need this conflict wouldn't be happening if neoliberalism had the answers we wouldn't be meeting Nazis in the street well yeah and and that's the thing and it's happening in Europe too it's like you know I think America sort of started taking the steps towards that but in Europe there's still I don't know it still kind of feels like it's building towards the collapse of this dream of right. neoliberalism of the dream of being able to use markets to solve society's problems and you know what I mean? Being able to manage them and all this other stuff. Being able to destroy worker po uh, power and all this other stuff. I don't know. Um, it just feels like, I mean, um, a lot of people are seeing this as like a crisis moment and, and tons of legitimate urgency. Yet, <clears throat> it also feels like we've been, I mean, we are in an, we are firmly in an economy of violence. So I hear from a lot of people being like, this is not surprising. Yeah. Especially people of color. This is not a surprise because we are so firmly rooted in this economy of straight up fucking violence, like on daily basis. Um, and oppression manifests in your physical fucking body, in our bodies. Talking about Tom as a hypochondriac. <laughs> Bring us back to our fingernails. Y'all ain't shit right in a decade. Uh, my back That's goes out true. at least once a year and I'm bedridden. That's true. Like, we are, we are, we are experiencing. We're the loose shit gang. We I'm are serious. experiencing. I'm not shit a log in seven years. That's <laughs> no, not an exaggeration. I know. I know. <laughs> Oppression <laughs> plays out in our literal fucking bodies, and that is why healthcare is such a ground zero for them. Denying us healthcare yeah. ensures our fate. Well, it keeps it us fucking ensures out it. of the streets. Um. Yeah, because we literally can't. We can't organize. We. I mean, I have friends who can barely walk right now yeah. because of what they're dealing with. Um, I have this recurring nightmare that I'm going to be somehow physically incapacitated by some horrible illness and that I'm just going to get pecked off by the Nazis. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be fit enough to even take well, man, to the street. Here's you know the thing. I mean? Here's the thing. Like, you know, it's important to it's important to remember that we, yeah, this is not new. Right, that's what I'm saying. And this is compounded trauma. Well, but, well, and what I'm saying is that there have been other people who have been here. Like, I was, I've got this book of um, Rosa Luxemburg's, like, selected writings. And she's got this, like, she's got this letter. It's actually pretty fascinating. She uh, was in prison and during all during World War One because she opposed to the war and was in prison for speaking out against it. But she's like writing this letter to her sister or somebody I can't remember who who it was, and she's talking about like you know I miss the little things in life like gardening and playing with my pets and all this other stuff. But it's funny because the next sentence she goes, "Don't don't mistake me. Don't think that I'm going soft on my socialism. I will die in the streets." <laughs> and she did. Yeah. She was killed by um, reactionary thugs, basically at the direction of the German government. I mean, like that's kind of joking when i'm talking about this like being towards death but like that's i don't want to die on the streets and i don't want my friends to die on the streets. i don't either and i certainly don't think that people who have been dying in the mines and in fucking faulty clinics and just to so much violence for a hundred years deserve to be at this like i understand that with these motherfuckers yeah and i don't want to die on the street either however we she understood the stakes and they understand the stakes, and we better fucking understand, understand the, the stakes, stakes because they already have. And they're in these videos talking about how many more people will have to die 
It was in this Vice documentary. Yeah, that's what it says. They understand that. They literally said, we'll kill all these motherfuckers if we have You know, and, and I think that, like, the state ultimately will side with that. <laughs> well, I mean, they already have their own militias. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even need the state to side. I mean, them. like, it's it makes me a little uncomfortable because I have been very uncomfortable, and I'm not saying that, like, yo, you know, it's like, get out there and die for your cause. However... And, and and I have been very uncomfortable with, like, some of the stuff I've seen online, like, the left needs to be armed, like, yesterday. And it, I don't know. I have a lot of problems with that. But, um, well, I am armed yesterday. But. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. I, because, one, because what we think, nonviolence was a media tactic in a lot of ways. I'm not right? saying. That wasn't like. Yeah. I'm just saying some of us shouldn't own guns and et cetera. Uh, you know, but we probably do need systems of not probably we definitely need systems of like security and defense and all this stuff. But care. But what we're going up against is literal healthcare, like paramilitary organizations. Like these are paramilitary organizations. Yeah. Like they've got, I don't know. It's just like McAuliffe is uh, sat there saying that they're armed better than the police, and and they've got arms caches all over the city, and like these are out and out paramilitary organizations. And like, how do you organize against that? Oh, they outnumber the police, even even here. I mean, <laughs> when I was on city council in Whitesburg, you get—I probably can't say this, but we'll probably have to strike this from the minutes. But you get homeland security briefings if you're like, and they would tell you about people that were in a certain proximity to your town that have stockpiled weapons. And there's a guy that lives in Red Fox, right on the line that he has, like, 40,000 rounds of ammunition. God damn. And, like, 2,000 guns or something like that. And, like, by comparison, every police agency, which I'm not saying that, like, we should look for them for, for, for protection if it hits the fan, but just for point of comparison, they have, like, 40-something guns and 1,600 rounds of ammunition. Like, if it really goes down. See, it's the thing. Like, I don't know, like, the way that it's we've watched it play out since the inauguration. Like, it doesn't feel like there's an actual flashpoint. It feels like this very incremental thing. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. this very, like, yeah. My surprise is how many, how easy it is to buy guns and ammunition here at the flea market um, without any paper trail. I'm surprised they even are tracking, they're even able to track these people. You know what I mean? Like no. I like I drove from here to Hazard every day for two years, and if I had stopped and bought a, every gun I saw on the side of the goddamn road, I'd have that same pile. Same pile, yeah. No, <laughs> and the, I, I'm sure there wasn't a place I needed to sign my fucking name to buy it. You know? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I I oscillate between feeling really mad at liberals because I used to be one for kind of. <laughs> What I think of is kind of lulling us to sleep about weapons and, <laughs> and guns and kind of stuff. And then trying to, you know, let the better angels of my nature take over and say, well, you know, you don't really need that. That's not exactly, you know, the answer. And I don't know if that's true anymore. You know, I don't know. I don't we know need how, the I don't, ba- I don't know how to feel about. We need a plurality of tactics that we can hopefully fucking agree on. Um and in movements that all all we can do is have some imagination and draw on the experiences of movements before us yeah and have some imagination t- forward so do you think that there's like a an imaginative 
response to this that doesn't involve arming ourselves to the teeth, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I, I do think that we, you're right. I think we have plurality tactics. We should probably have defense security systems and all this other stuff. But I, I, I've wondered about that too. Like, is it an unimaginative thing to say that we need to be armed to the teeth? I don't think that's unimaginative. That is a lesson learned from the civil rights movement. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like on an individual level. I'm saying that like as a as a nationwide tactic is that like it, to me it almost I don't know, maybe I'm being contrarian or maybe I'm I'm not trying to be. I'm I'm just saying like to me it does feel like a sort of lack of imagination to be like they're coming after you Tom, get a fucking gun. Yeah. yeah. I, I can see that. So this is like there has to be like I don't think hoarding weapons is a good strategy. <laughs> oh yes, no, I, I do not think that is a tact. That's not necessarily a tactic. Um, I think it can be a personal decision about your own. Yeah. I also am stockpiling uh, essential oils and fucking <laughs> clinic <laughs> materials for God's sakes. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, there yeah, are I things understand. I have in my home. I have a huge bag of salt. To ask me why, I don't know. <laughs> It's my bad imagination, right? I'm a witch. I don't know what else to tell you. I have a fuck ton of candles. If y'all need some candles, I got a stockpile. I buy them every time they're on sale. <laughs> Maybe I'm a hoarder. Did I just come out as a hoarder? Maybe. You're not a hoarder. <laughs> have you seen hoarders? No, I have a very neat and tidy house because I'm a cancer. I like to nest. Um, but, I, I mean... In light of the conversation we're currently having, this feels, um, there are a couple things. One, I don't think it is, I do think a part of our imagination and plurality of tactics has to be to shift the motherfucking narrative about specifically this region, but poor people in general. But see, I don't know if that's possible. You think we're we're at the end of that line? Post narrative. How do we do it though? I mean, like if we 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 operate in a media landscape that gives these motherfuckers a hundred times more coverage than I mean, like when's the last time you saw DSA on the front page of a major newspaper? Even though we've got tw- more than twenty five thousand members, and these motherfuckers struggle to get fifteen hundred people out to a, a rally across the nation at a rally in Charlottesville. It's like, and that's how we got Trump. Like he got. I mean, honestly, the media has a lot to do with Trump being in office. He got, I mean, what was the estimate? Um, of course, we know that there's plenty of blame to put on the Dems. Yeah. But he got, like, quadruple the media attention as yeah. the Democrats throughout oh, the whole yeah. thing. Like, yeah. he's just, a, it's just like a dog and pony show. And, yeah. So, maybe, yeah. Um, but here's the other piece that I really want to talk about is whatever strategy we do figure out or are figuring out, um, we ha- we have to think about this as like a regional strategy because this is because we are going up against their regional tactic but what happens if we don't squash them out here but they realize they they don't have the ground zero they thought they did here are we just shifting burden somewhere else they're just going to like well, I, probably I, indiana <laughs> If it doesn't work here, it's my guess. So are we ready to be like, fuck you, Indiana, deal with it? Or are we trying to squash it out here? Like, I mean, we had these conversations when I was doing coal organizing. The first time I ever went to Chicago and had met people who were in inner city Chicago. It's like a Latina community that's like the most concentrated place in America of, uh, of coal-fired plants. 
And so that was the first time I'd ever like seen that top, that end of the spectrum. And I was like, fuck. So then I like came home with, you know, my like young idealism that I still am riding a wave of um, thinking now when we don't stop these mines, like we're not the only ones suffering. We are if like we're ground zero. If we don't stop it here, it's getting to these communities in Chicago and all over the country. It's like the, the burning end is, you know, so there's like this this like heavier burden of the shift of the problem and so like if we don't squash it out here um where is it going to go to where who else is it going to take down yeah i see what you're saying i mean um i don't have the answer i'm just yeah no I, i i don't think any of us do that's why we all wanted to come in today on our day off this uh you know, you know what's kind of funny? <laughs> Paradoxically, this is a very low-energy episode, but it actually kind of works for the subject matter. Just as an aside. Yeah, no, it's... it's somber. Oh, yeah, I, I assumed it was going to be. Well, yeah, it's the... We're not Normally, with a, a bad headache, I would call in the fellas and tell them I wasn't going to be in. <laughs> call in the babysitter. But here I am with a motherfucking migraine. Well, yeah. Woe is me. I I don't know, like, honestly, Tanya, I don't know, like, how sh- how much resources and, sh- and strength they've put on to focusing their strategy on this region. I'm saying that, like, I don't know, literally, like, because I don't pay that much attention to the things that they're saying or, or all this. Do you all think they're getting any traction whatsoever here? Or do you think this is just like, the gamble they're they're taking I, well okay, i will say this i drove home from abingdon today and i drove through downtown abingdon and i saw you know i'm like being in whitesburg i'm sensitive to cameras <laughs> so i saw a big tripod and camera set up on the side of the road as i drove by and so i was like kind of gandernicking trying to see what was going on over there and i you know i was it was just a drive-by i hate to uh make a lot of assumptions but what seemed like what's happening to me was someone was doing a photo shoot in front of a confederate monument <laughs> in downtown abingdon god damn it i saw that today <laughs> now i wow. hate to presume that that's what was actually happening but it was a, a a statue of a man on a horse and i clearly read confederacy on the thing and the guy was standing in front of it grinning in an orange fucking shirt and a red hat yeah and was getting his picture taken now i just don't know (laughs) any other explanation for this we have to figure out a few things we need to strategize because i'm sorry let me turn this headphones down um I don't the, the the maddening thing about all this is I know what I want to say but I can't articulate it. We're all speechless. Like we and and this is the problem right now. We're all angry that we don't have a better strategy or we're like mad that we're you know, we're just like mad and then we're mad at ourselves for not being prepared and being mad. Well, and yeah. then like mad. it's just like I'm just like layers of anger and like embarrassment right now. Well, it's because yeah, like our for we become so I don't know. Um, let's see if I can wrap this up. But like um, our strategy for the longest time in sort of like street mobilization was nonviolence. Like that was our strategy. You know what I mean? Like, and the target was the state. 
But now, that's n- that doesn't really feel like that's the case anymore for several reasons. Like, first, it's like you were saying earlier, a lot of this is defensive and reactive because it has to be. It's on their terms. Um, and But the second reason is that, like, it feels like the state is going to flinch pretty much and um, appease them and always until it's too late. And then the third reason is that they're armed to the fucking teeth. And, like, how do you... How do we adapt to that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do we pull... Um, like, how do we... Yeah, how do we adapt to that and still maintain our message without, like, getting people murdered? Yeah. Yeah. And that's... Um, that's that's whole new territory for, I would say, just about every activist in this country right now. In the sense that, like, I'm... You know, and I'm not talking about, like marginalized i mean like that violence is you know they have experienced the brutal repression of the state and all this for decades and all this what what i'm saying is that like we're talking about like street it's sort of like warfare there are tactics here there's like there are there are ways to mobilize people to shut them down and i think people are doing that i mean like i think that people know how to do that but i don't i don't know I had a good place I was going with that. Fuck it. <sighs> Fucked it up. I guess what I'm saying is that, like, um, I don't know a whole lot of people who do know how you respond to that um, in a meaningful way other than the only thing I have to say about it is, like, we keep trying to or- organize people at our workplaces and we keep trying to build a base. Well, I mean, we have the numbers. You're are, right. Are we agreed on that? Right. We do have the numbers if you don't include the state <laughs> on their side. Yeah. We have the we have the raw numbers like you said, like this isn't a critical mass of people um by and large, yet they have the critical mass of media attention. And um so they're so heavily amplified and they have um, fulfillment of violence. Right. Like they're not just threatening. And and even though we have the numbers, we cannot afford. Like I just, I just, I, maybe I am soft, but I cannot move beyond the perspective that n- our bodies are like, nothing is more important than our physical goddamn bodies. I just like can't move myself to feel like we are exposable or something you mean you can't get to the point of like i don't support war do you know what i'm saying like i do not you're a pacifist <laughs> aren't you I, I cannot <laughs> i cannot fucking square the fact that my friends could have not come home from charlottesville yeah i can't square it and i don't know how to and i don't know that i fucking want to and maybe next week i'll feel differently i don't fucking know but i just like i'm i i bet that there was a lot like like antifa and dsa and blm and the people who were um who were and are still organizing in charlottesville specifically had very clear plans in place to protect one another and that is probably why there weren't more casualties yeah and so um i just feel like we have to lean into that and my like i feel like the two biggest like we have to figure out how to literally care for each other like i'm saying like we we aren't even we aren't even like 
fully able-bodied fucking armies here. <laughs> we are, we are bodies that are manifested with violence from our the fucking economies we're dealing with and oppression. It's just true. It is. We are not. Whatever. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this either. But I sat beside Helen Lewis, the like grandmother of Appalachian Studies, yesterday in a meeting, and um, she said. She talked to me about how she went to UVA and lived in Charlottesville. Um, and uh, that was in the, I mean, she's 93. So that was, 70 some years ago. Yeah. 70 years ago, she was in Charlottesville and she said, well, you know what I thought was interesting, which of course this is like, you know, a hot take I've seen all over the internet is like, they were, they were all men. They were all like, you know, I didn't see any female Nazis. The, the, not, the that right people, yeah. not that they're not, there are. Um, and we saw them in Pikeville, but I didn't see any, and she didn't either. And she said, "I think that's really telling." Um, when most of the people who I knew on the front line of uh, the resistance in Charlottesville were women, um, and but of course <laughs> I've seen a lot of the we know these men are going home to women, <laughs> they're being cared for, la la la. Like women aren't like just because those were only men pulling this shit does not mean that white women are off the hook which I agree with women are aiding and abetting these motherfuckers for sure even though I don't think they're getting fucked <laughs> we've, we've, we've agreed on that right? well it's interesting that you say that it's interesting well, that you say that I don't know it's like I, I you know me and Tom were talking about this yesterday it's like I feel I've experienced a large degree of shame for the past few days for being simplistic in my analysis of these people like oh the, uh, and i think we said it in the first episode i mean we said it like sort of jokingly like we were all it's you know we were sort of like being facetious about the whole thing yeah but basically saying like oh yeah like the the nazis don't get fucked that's why they're nazis but un- i think that the truth is probably something closer to what i was saying earlier which is that the st- the structure of the system has um they're responding to material things in their environment and they're also reactionaries so they perceive that they're losing some sort of hegemonic control on on society um but if you look at the trend of history and when reactionaries rise up in mass numbers for example, like the 1920s was a huge period of reaction in this country and mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's probably more related to um, the, like I said earlier, growing inequality, stagnating wages, you know, all these things that like, you know, are crises that the system can't, that, that it doesn't have an answer to because, you know, like we've said before, capitalism is an unsustainable way of structuring society. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel now I feel weirdly uncomfortable psychoanalyzing the Nazis and like their sort of like sexual this and that pathologies. Um, well, it's interesting you bring up the 20s because yesterday I just was was in this like workshop about blacks in Appalachia and learned that um, Garveyism 
So you know what I'm talking about? Marcus Garvey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there. yeah. The back to Africa guy um, who like bought up boats and was literally like his his reaction, his take was right on. <laughs> it was like, this is a failed attempt. This <laughs> this country is a failed fucking attempt. We need to go back home. We need to get the fuck out of here. And that movement started with black coal miners in West Virginia. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Who the fuck knew? We the, should do a show on that. We need to do a whole show on Blacks in Appalachia, especially well, since we got our ass called out um, from our in our uh, comments of the um, of that's of our fucking article. Although that was kind of bullshit, because it was bullshit. She, but if pe- she, but if someone you were saying wasn't. what you just said was the opposite of what she was saying, like that what Appalachia isn't homogeneously white, yeah. which was that she was saying that we specifically called it a white region. That's what I'm saying. We got called out for that when we have never we have never meant to do that. And if people have heard that, that like that's a you know that's not what we're trying to do. So I'm yeah. not sure how people would have heard that from us because we know that not to be true. My boss is a black man. He is running a, f- a huge arts. Like we could go down the like this is a very diverse region, right? Like we right. don't need to. But back to what you're saying about Garveyism. Yeah. Was there a bit, was there a larger? <laughs> the point is that um, like the tw- the reactionary kind of overarching reaction of the tw- of the 1920s, um, like. Um, I'm not sure what the point is, but basically that um, there was a lot of that here and some of it was led by people of color. Yeah. Um, Well, nobody's immune from reaction. Like literally nobody. I mean, there's reaction across the sort of um, across all demographics and across all political spectrums. I mean, I would even go so far as to say that like, and me and Tom were talking about this yesterday and you probably disagree. I don't know. But I, I feel like the... The whole sort of like, oh, jeez, I can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast. You can cut it. But I kind of do feel like the whole like sort of construction of the dirtbag left is reactionary. There are elements of it that are reactionary. And I feel personally like I've been in a sort of state of reaction since the election. That is, I'm just now starting to come out of. Everybody's prone to it. Like, and, 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 and there are plenty of black nationalist groups that are reactionary. And there are plenty, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, But the point is... Is that like these people are getting to be pretty successful at it? These all right people, these white supremacist all right people, they're getting pretty good at it. How do we measure success based on their media attention? Well, based on the attention they're getting, they killed one of our people. So I, I mean, I'm I'm honestly asking, like, what? How are we measuring their like? Th- this is an important to think about. I haven't thought about this before. How do we measure? Yeah, no, you're right. Let me let me. I want to go down a road here, a little rabbit hole. There's been a culture that's been cultivated in this country. I don't know what you would want to call it. Okay, I don't know what you would. Um. <laughs> You know, like the Juggalos have their own... Th- you know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing you could really call this. But there's been this weird, paranoia-driven fascination with guns and the military and police and all these parts that has sort of coalesced and came at a time when... There's a, a just sort of intersecting with a time of how should we say this economic anxiety, okay? 
And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's like you could look at that one of two ways. Either you can uh, succumb to tribalism, you know, and want to form this ethnostate, or, you know, you want to fight for the right things. But either way, violence has been cultivated in this culture to the point where, you know, I've heard people for years, my like my gun nut buddies, like they all have the same aesthetic. They have all the same like opinions and qualities. Yeah. And it's not hard to play on their economic anxieties that we all have to push them in a direction that is ugly. If that makes sense. I just think that like the culture sort of sort of built the foot soldiers for this white nationalist movement. And now that capitalism is on the wane. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think it's spot on. That's not a, I, I didn't well, articulate that well at all, but. Well, no, I think that what's happening is that, <clears throat> you know, you could go back to sort of like the John Birchers and stuff like that. But like right. the last like 40 or 50 years of like racist oppression in this country, and this is mostly the liberals fault, has been, um, it's been transferred from like street fighting, paramilitary, um, lynching in the South, stuff like that, to state apparatuses, you know what I mean? Mass incarceration, um, you know, redlining, all these other things. And um, in a lot of those things were dependent on the sort of uh, this large capitalist sort of superstructure that we, or I'm sorry, base that we had. Uh, built but like as it starts to crumble jesus i don't know where i'm going with this but all i'm saying is that it just feels very it just feels very it's new to us because we're young but it's old in the sense that like you look back at the 20s and 30s and even parts of the 50s and 60s and like we're not seeing anything new there right it feels very old and i guess that's the whole point make america great again right i mean i guess that's what they wanted um so i don't know i mean like Earlier, you're saying like, how do you measure their success? I don't know. Like they they're they're getting somewhat successful. I mean, they're getting some degree of success because of Trump and because of you know Bannon and these people. Like I was talking to somebody in the office today. Like, could this have happened two or three years ago? And I don't know. I don't think so. Not like, persuaded yeah. it could have. Especially in the re in this region. I got I just yeah yeah like since. I mean, they announced Pikeville, their intentions to rally in Pikeville, weeks after inauguration. Well, yeah, and I think it's because they... Quickly, yeah. they narrowed in on us. And it is it is because of the... I mean, literally people we know, fucking liberals that we fucking know, immediately blamed us. Immediately yeah. for the goddamn election. These things are not fucking separate. Right, yeah, they're very... You're right. But I think that the Obama presidency and sort of neat little whole project of liberalism in general sort of blinded us to the fact, to blinded us to the many contradictions mm-hmm. of the system. Mm-hmm. I guess one lesson to try to learn from the 90s, from the, from the 1920s, this like reactionary time, is that it seems like it was still okay then, like it was still... It was still more of a, it was still in the time of America that people on a large scale could say, this isn't working. 
like this whole system is not working because it was such a young country. And now I feel like just a hundred years later, we're like, nope, this is it. That's all we got. There's nothing else. Like, I mean, of course, there's like the left. There's like a sect of us. But by and large, all the people making decisions, they're like, no, no, no. There's nothing else will work but this. This is the only working way. And I just don't. Like, yeah, it's, I just, it's, I just feel crazy. It's the old canard. Can you also hear me? Yeah. It's the old canard that like it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. It's like it's it's a hundred it's been a hundred years of this is the only system. There's no alternative. I mean, like there's been a lot of people that have written about this. Like I think capitalist realism is probably the term I hear the most. In a hundred years, will, you, will we look back on this time as the beginning of the end of capitalism? Well, I mean, it depends on who wins, you know? Nobody wants capitalism. Not even the... <laughs> only the rich people. And there's so few. Yeah. But it's not even something like... CNN is not gonna... I talk do. about the fuckeries of they're just not you know what i mean right well you know we'll nationalize cnn once we get control of the state <laughs> <laughs> just like we nationalize facebook uh we're but, we're selling mark zuckerberg out to the sea <laughs> sending him out to president the... zuckerberg <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just don't know do you feel like we went nowhere fast Today in this episode, yeah. How much time have we got? An hour, right at an hour. I don't know. I kind of feel like. I feel like this is what I expected us to do. I didn't know what else we were gonna do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that like none of us have any of the sort of correct historical facts to make actual. You're the historian. Arguments. <laughs> I have a degree in history. It doesn't mean I'm a historian. Well, we're fucking... Elizabeth Cat is a historian. We're journalists and social uh, <laughs> sociologists. What do we, what do we expect us to do? I just... I, I want... I do think it's interesting just, though, to, uh, to note, though, that although we don't have those answers because we're not, like, intellectuals or whatever... A lot of the things we're talking about here are th not things that you need, like a PhD or anything to fucking understand. It is a gut level reaction. Like, I don't know. Like, I just find that, like, I think most people know on a gut level that capitalism is unsustainable. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they put it through various ideological filters, but they know on a gut level there's something wrong with it. Deeply diseased. And... Um, and I think the Nazis, you know, wake up with the same sort of gut level reaction. And, you know, of course, there's probably a lot of individual pain and trauma and shit going on there. And they're blaming the Jews and all these others. So it's like, um, but I guess what I'm saying is that, like, you don't need a, a fucking degree or anything to know that, like, this project that we've had going on in this country for the past 40 years or so is over. I mean, it is, it's, it's done with. And, um, when history, when you have moments like this in history, there is violence, then there is unrest and there's a lot of 
really nasty things. And we need to be honest about that and we need to face it so we can try to ameliorate it and, and, and try to um, protect ourselves and those around us um, while also winning. Um, last night over dinner, <laughs> my dinner conversation was about late capitalism and how one path forward is to take over Silicon Valley and make sure that the incoming AI is going to do all the jobs that we don't want to do and so that um, we live really happy lives and spend time with one another and like become our full fucking selves. Um, And a piece of that conversation was how was just like some thought about the Elon Musk of the world and some of the reason that they like just like half-ass support universal um, universal income so that we they can basically keep people out of Silicon Valley with pitchforks as yeah. they as they create uh, automation. That. But um, but one thing about them is that like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, these people do not. They're not worried about shit like climate change and right. shit because they fully plan to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> they fully plan to become cyborgs and live or out their to, days. Or to devise some sort of tech answer to the problem. Right. And just, and live out their days on Mars. They they and and their whole their whole strategy is a colonizing strategy. Like yeah. Elon Musk in particular is totally using the the european model of colonialism of like colonizing to think south african imagine that. to think about colonizing fucking mars which this is just like you know it sounds like crazy talk <laughs> but it is this man they just spend all of their days trying to figure out how to download their brains into a computer right we talked a little bit about this on episode 11 downloading consciousness onto a cd rom mm. It's a little gummy I'm about to eat. Where'd that even come from? My pocket. You had a gummy wrapped in aluminum foil in your pocket. It has THC in it. It's a drug gummy. You weren't, <laughs> if I'd known that, I would have ripped it from your hands. I have Why? a migraine. Didn't I just say I have a migraine? That could have helped me. <laughs> I only have one. Um, Was that in the shape of Buddha? It looked kind of like Santa Claus. We would have fought for it. You're fucking with my headphones, hey, bro. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I, before we close this, I want to say one more thing. Fuck Frank Rich. <laughs> yeah. Eat a dick, Frank Rich. But really, though, um, like, it really can't be stressed enough that the motherfuckers that were at this goddamn rally, the Nazis that were at this goddamn rally, were not hillbillies. They weren't people from, they weren't poor white people. They were upper middle class, cargo wearing, um, yeah. Th- College professors, lawyers. Who can articulate in very clear terms their racism and, and, and their frustrations with the society and all these other things. It's like, it just is so, I don't know. I mean, you've already hinted at We've already hinted at it several times in this episode, but like, uh, there's really not much more to say. The fucking Nazis are not the poor people... The poor white people in the streets. I mean, sure, yeah, there's a lot of racist people out there. There's a lot of poor white racist people. There's racist fucking people everywhere, but... um, Future impending episodes (laughs) to come. Blacks in Appalachia. This is a very important narrative. That's why I'm going to have Randy Moss on the episode. Yeah, we're going to get Randy on. Um, Lessons from the goddamn Highlander Center. 
I've already Ash is sending me dates when she can be on. Um, there was one more. It's always the last one you're forgetting. Yeah, it's always the last place you look. It's <laughs> true. What do y'all have in the hatch? Whoa. I just got a bunch of fucking dumbass jokes. That's all I do for You've this. Been working on jokes. That's all I do for this podcast anymore. I write jokes. He right got jokes. <laughs> I'm just sleepy and anxious. I got nothing. <laughs> Tom's got WebMD. <laughs> I've got jokes. Tom's got WebMD. You're the only one actual working on a political program. Y'all, here. if I rubbed a genie bottle and I got one wish, I'd wish that y'all would have a log bowel movement. I really would. That's how much I love you. You know, I'm fine for usually, but I was a little on edge today because I got a show tonight. You know, I also I always get really nervous when I got shows. Mm-hmm. Our little drummer boy. That's why I just ate a gummy. Big rock and roll show. <laughs> Where, did, were you, did you did you set a reminder on your phone to remind you at what time exactly to take your gummy? I knew that for I was, optimum performance. I knew I was going to take it about five <laughs> minutes before the show ended. <laughs> I definitely wasn't wow. going to walk into this very serious conversation just being like, so, guys. I know. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Matt Carter, speaking of that, Matt Carter sent me a meme the other day with Matthew McConaughey from Days and Confused, and it said, all right, all right, all right. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> He's that. Oh, shit. <sighs> meme daddy. Well, anyways, so I guess I hope we, um, <laughs> I hope we live through the... Uh, solar eclipse <clears throat> but nobody go blind yeah i need that vision i talked to my sister on the phone today and actually this was pretty wild because my sister's not you know she she's not political at all and she she don't she doesn't vote which why why vote fuck it at this point you know i don't know passing judgment but she said i was just watching C- she called me to say i was just watching cnn and they said um, there was a terrorist attack in Spain. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And she said, because I haven't lo- I haven't seen anything about this, have y'all? I saw the headline, but I've been, in, but I've been I in the car. And she said the, a bus ran into, a, drove into a crowd of people. And she said, and they called it a terrorism attack. But they're not calling that Charlottesville shit no terrorist attack. And it sure shit was. Yeah. That's what my sister called and said me today. And I said, yeah, it was, sis. That's because they've spent a long-ass time making sure terrorism is connected to black and brown bodies. And a white dude drove that car in Charlottesville. She said, that's terrible. You know, <laughs> It's fucked up. You know, we didn't talk about this earlier. But another point I would like to make, especially since we, like, I don't know, forget we were in the Lexington Herald Leader. We might be getting a little bit of a bigger audience. I doubt it. Well. I hope not. If so, if there's any, like, <laughs> I'm terrified. libs listening who uh, think that there's a difference between a respectable Republican and a Donald Trump Republican, wake the fuck up. These respectable Republicans are trying, as you say, quote-unquote respectable Republicans are trying to pass laws in states all over the country to make it legal to drive cars into crowds of protesters. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is in North Dakota. There was one in North Carolina. Uh, there's been, yeah, there, like state legislatures are trying to legalize it. N- not in the good way. They're trying to legalize it. <laughs> <laughs> not in the cool way. <laughs> not in the cool way. They're trying to legalize driving... So, so yeah, they're oh, all the damn. fucking same. They're all yeah. goddamn and my sister pieces who, of shit. Uh, if my sister can connect these dots when she spends all of her time trying to raise two kids by herself. People like, know at a gut level. They fu- She fucking knows. They she know. Fuck- she has a two-year-old and a three-year-old. They're ten months apart, and they are hell on wheels, these two. And if she can pull up from trying to raise two boys in eastern Kentucky, 
she, we all can we all can figure out what the fuck is going on um two other episodes we have coming up that i remembered the golden girls we have an all girl episode yeah, coming up we have all girl episode and we got a tech episode tech episode coming up <laughs> who michelle uh, is that what it's gonna be about I guess, but she found, yeah, she, she could probably talk about tech stuff, but she, or maybe not, she know. can definitely talk about how to organize your fucking coworkers, which is what you just said is one of the things we have to do and have an imagination about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's four we know we have in the pipe. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll do an entire episode of us throwing out episode ideas. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what I wish we could do is some interactive. <laughs> Tom, Tom literally just, was Tom's just sweating. He's just. I wish we could do an interactive polling situation where we can figure out what people want us to do. We'll, we'll eventually have to because we're going to run out of ideas. Yeah. I yeah. especially feel that now that we've had a fucking article written about us. I'm like, well, we've probably peaked. Can we just stop now? <laughs> yeah. We Shut have peaked. <laughs> Is this our worst episode so far? Our best one? No. Oh, does it have to be one or the other? <laughs> That's how I see the world. In absolutes. Tell <laughs> <laughs> no, it ain't that the truth. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> All right. Shut it down right now. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Goodbye. See you next week.